Well, welcome to Lent. It's the most wonderful time of the year, at least for me. It's maybe my favorite season of the year, rivaling Advent and Christmas. Many of us know a little bit about Lent, some of us a lot, but for the sake of review, um, let's just go over the basics. The word Lent comes from an old English word that means lengthen, as the days do when we get to spring. Lent is the season of the cross in which Christians are invited to deeper discipline and deeper pondering of the mystery of Jesus' sacrifice and victory. The 40 days of Lent is the season that invites us to walk with Jesus in both a spiritual and physical way. We discipline our minds and hearts in Lent as well as our bodies so we can be like Jesus in mind, heart, and body so that we can work Jesus' justice and purity into our own daily rhythms and not hold them as merely ideas. Traditionally, Christians have chosen to fast and pray during Lent, throwing off basic pleasures and comforts in order to know Christ more deeply. The call of Lent to us is a little bit like the de-influencers of social media, trying to encourage us not to buy into things that are ultimately just going to disappoint us. Practicing Lent looks a little bit like the way my youngest child has learned to practice undistracted bottle drinking. If he is not going to get distracted while he's drinking, he has learned that he needs to get rid of his pacifier. I used to hold it in my hand while he drank from the bottle, but he would see it and stop drinking. This was very distressing for me. I started requiring that he hand the pacifier to me so I could hide it, and he could get his full nutrition. He started to get my drift and eventually accepted. So after a little while, when he would see the bottle, he would come running and throw the pacifier across the room. So I knew that he was ready. Imagine how my heart soared when he understood that the pacifier is good, and it's fun. It makes our car rides a lot quieter, it makes him smile just to see it in his car seat, and it's been our lifesaver through teething. But when we get down to seeking pure nutrition, it's a hindrance to him. One of the things that I like most about Lent is the draw of the utter honesty it evokes. When you get to Lent, there is no faking it till you make it. People practice fasting from many different kinds of things during Lent. Some fast from foods like desserts or sweets. Some from habits like media consumption. Some from attitudes like impatience. But when you practice fasting from anything, whatever it is, you are exposed and humbled on day one. Or if you're pretty good at fasting, on day two. It is really hard to stay faithful to the commitments that we have made, and there are so many easy ways out. It's easy to, just in case, keep our metaphor, metaphorical pacifiers close. But through that struggle, Lent shows us our dependence on God at a core level, as we are not often strong enough to face those temptations on our own, even for just dessert. This 40-some days of Lent is a mirror of the time 
that Jesus has spent fasting in the wilderness. Of course, the tale that we've read of Jesus' fast and the subsequent temptations probably don't have us lining up at the door to volunteer to fast. But because the account is in Holy Scripture, we're going to give it some airtime this morning and consider the roots of the Lenten tradition. So I want you to imagine being stuck in a deserted place with the worst living being imaginable. Do you have a face in your minds? This is true in our passage today. Jesus is stuck with the worst living being imaginable. It's not the person you were thinking about a second ago. It's actually Satan. Today's passage has Jesus in the wilderness. Amidst a landscape of dry dirt and rocky ground, we see a tired Jesus, hungry from 40 days of fasting and exposed to pure evil. Why would anyone go into the wilderness alone with long cold days, cold nights and long dry days? Why would anyone choose to put themselves at a lack? Why would anyone want to come face to face with the battle between good and evil, especially Jesus? He's just been baptized, set apart for ministry. He's supposed to be starting his ministry years. And the wilderness is not a pretty place. For God's people, the Israelites, the desert wilderness was the place where they learned to eat manna. They learned to trust God through 40 years of nomadic living. The wilderness has been a place throughout history that brings God's people back to the basics of being one with God having a loving, trusting relationship with God, but it's learned through a season of struggle. The scripture makes it clear that it is the Spirit of God who has led Jesus here where no person might wish to be. In this barren space, Jesus can find the true treasure of the wilderness, unity between God the lover and his beloved. If Jesus emerges from the wilderness with that and only that, he will have it all. And he cannot truly minister to God's world any other way. Jesus is not sheltered from wilderness reality. He has fasted for 40 days. When he is at his most vulnerable, he faces three temptations that reveal what kind of a savior he is going to be. Enter Satan. There is a rhythm, a call and response, a proper back-and-forth argument between Jesus and Satan, the luring call of temptation, the response of faithfulness to God. The first temptation is for food. If you are God's son, turn these stones to bread. Jesus' response comes from his playbook. From the words of Scripture he has been brought up on and knows so well, It is written that man shall not live on bread alone, but every word of God is life and our spirit's nutrition. Temptation. Scripture. Repeat. Second is a seeming test of faith given at the temple, which ends up being an invitation to test God. Throw yourself down so God can save you. Jesus said, again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Temptation, scripture, repeat. If the first two temptations were too easy for Jesus, Satan comes back with a third 
temptation for raw power, all the kingdoms of the world. He can have it, and he can have them in a way that the kingdoms of this world are typically gotten, with bowing just a little to the wrong person. Most would say yes to that offer, but Jesus cares about how the sausage gets made. Jesus sends him away, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. In this desert time, Jesus will not be disconnected from his source. He will not be distracted from his purpose, which is the worship and service of the Lord, unity with the God he loves. What's interesting about the placement of this story is its context within the book of Matthew, following the story of Jesus' baptism. Jesus' baptism is the place where God had spoken Jesus' belovedness, saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It's in the baptism story that the Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove coming to land. Now it's in the wilderness of hunger and temptation that Jesus will prove the power of that spirit from a life steeped in God's words. For all three temptations, Jesus quotes scripture. Once Jesus hits Satan with an it is written in the first temptation, we hear Satan trying to play trump for trump. Satan quotes scripture from Psalm 91, but intentionally misinterprets it out of context. Psalm 91 says that the angels will care for you and shelter you. But it goes on to say, beyond the quote, I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Jesus was cared for by the angels, but the angels weren't there just to keep him from facing darkness. His belovedness has not sheltered him from the necessity of going through desert trials. The Spirit has led Jesus here, and he has chosen to follow the Spirit. How slow this fast month must have felt. How long, not just the days, but the moments. No one is singing Jesus' praises in the wilderness. He is living without any affirmation, except the one voice, the still small echo of his father's voice saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The fundamental truth that Jesus was experiencing so personally and so clearly in the time of wilderness testing is that God was his living source. And that was enough because he was God's beloved. Jesus has fought back the devil with the very words of God. They are life for him now. In his fast, he has feasted on every word from God's mouth. So no matter how friendly Satan's offers get, Jesus chops and dices them, revealing their substance. The power of scripture that Jesus loves so well is described in the book of Hebrews this way. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 
Imagine for a second the holy rage Jesus feels as he hears truth twisted when he knows the heart behind the scriptures. Imagine how he is clinging to the words he remembers now. They are all he has. Jesus has lived a God-centric life. He has lived in God's words and for them. The words of God are written in his heart and they echo in his mind. He has eaten these words for lunch and now they are all he has. Thankfully, they are all he needs. Jesus is ready to start the most powerful ministry years of his life. It is after this grueling time that Jesus emerges and takes over sharing John the baptizer's clear message. Repent, for God's kingdom is near you. We see Jesus preaching this message. We see him healing the sick, who are people who are plagued by devils of their own. And we hear him turning the world upside down with the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. This is where he goes from the wilderness. The Spirit has led him to fast and pray, and when Jesus emerged from the sharpness of the rocky terrain, he came in the power of the Spirit with a sharpness of focus that guided him into the three most world-altering years the earth has ever known. The story of Jesus' temptation invites us to take a long, loving look at Jesus in the moments when we would grow weary in our own faithfulness. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, in the message paraphrase, says, Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. Now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again. Item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Jesus has experienced our temptations. He has known the strain of discipline and yet in the power of the Holy Spirit, with the voice of God echoing in his ears, he has prepared a way in the wilderness for us. There is a book we read at our house, sometimes called Goodnight Whispers. This is a book about a girl whose father tucks her in each night, whispering his love for her in her ear. He says things like, I love you very much. And I love being your father. She becomes a toddler who learns to walk, and a child who learns to climb and swim and sing, a teenager who is present and gives everything she has to her work and her play. She is carried by her father's love. She hears the whispers that he spoke as she faces new challenges. She becomes an adult and eventually a mother, and she begins to whisper to her young son how very beloved he is. I'll bet he grew up to live in those words. 
feasting on that love his whole life through. The Christian writer Dorothy Sayers told us that Lent is not intended to be an annual ordeal during which we begrudgingly forego a handful of pleasures. It is meant to be the church's springtime, a time when out of the darkness of sin's winter a repentant, empowered people emerges. Put another way, Lent is the season in which we ought to be surprised by joy. Our self-sacrifices serve no purpose unless by laying aside this or that desire we are able to focus on our heart's deepest longing, unity with Christ. In Lent, we take our 40 days to focus on the cross in preparation to receive the reality of the resurrection. We do Lent so we can be ready for Easter Forty days we take of baby steps on the path of the long obedience. Forty fast days on the long road of yeses to Jesus' kingdom. And yet, Lent is actually 46 days long, as Bobby mentioned last week. Our fast month slows down for the six Sundays in Lent in which we do not fast. Rather, we feast. Sunday is the day each year, or sorry, each week of the year that Christians gather and celebrate the resurrection. And the resurrection, we mark 50 days for Easter time. And so this, this rhythm does not end in Lent. We fast, fast, feast. Fast, fast, feast. Until he comes alive for all to see. Amen.